Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. We're talking today about the U.S. role in cyberspace, and we're talking with Patrick Gorman, Senior Executive Advisor with Booz Allen Hamilton, and David Sulik, Principal with Booz Allen Hamilton. Patrick, David, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. To get started, why don't you each introduce yourself and talk about your roles with Booz Allen Hamilton. And Patrick, I'll turn to you first, and David, you can come in right after. Uh, my name is Patrick Gorman. I'm a senior executive advisor at Booz Allen Hamilton, and uh, my role within the firm is to coordinate our cybersecurity efforts uh, across our civil defense and intelligence markets and across all of our capability areas. And I'm Dave Sulik, Principal of Booz Allen, and for the past uh, 19 years, I've been working on cybersecurity issues in the Homeland Security, Intelligence, and Health field. Very good. Well, gentlemen, you've just released a new report called Cyber 2020. Patrick, what was the genesis of this study? Well, the genesis of the study was, as we've been looking at this thing for several years, a lot of the dialogue around what we call cyber has, has largely been around cybersecurity issues. And what we've been trying to do over the last couple of years is to back up and put this in some context to understand uh, what's really going on uh, beyond the security aspects and start looking at the economic and diplomatic aspects of this. And I think a lot of this was also driven by this discussion that we had back in the 1990s that everything was around the Internet and, and, and it was around the technology focus. And our concern has been that this has evolved substantially since then. I think that the term Internet and cyberspace are used independently of each other because I think they mean different things. And so what we wanted to do was step back and understand this uh, from this, uh, more of a strategic context and have a discussion from a policy perspective then from a pure technology uh, perspective or from a cybersecurity threat perspective. And David, your thoughts on this? Uh, when I go to cybersecurity events and uh, conferences, uh, one of the things that's been most interesting to me over the past several years has been the common use of certain analogies, cyber Pearl Harbor, cyber 9-11, cyber Cold War. I think one of the reasons this study was important was to look at analogies beyond sort of that limited scope and to understand how cybersecurity touches economics and sociocultural aspects of societies. And so when we, when we built this study, we did it with uh, a broad spectrum and a broad aperture in mind to look at, at a wide set of issues that were going to affect the future of cyberspace, not just the traditional cyber war element. So, Patrick, why is it so critical that we look today at what the U.S. role with respect to cyberspace is going to be over the next decade and more? Well, I think uh, it, it's important, I think, first, just kind of put this stuff in context. One thing we did last year is we did a, a separate study from this that basically looked at these technology economic changes. So we went back basically 250 years and said there's kind of distinct cycles that you see. As new technologies emerge, they create new economies around them, the business models, and those business models cascade out and they basically affect the political military uh, structure, and then th that obviously has geopolitical impact. And we saw a very distinct model that actually kind of repeated itself every you know, 60, 70 years. It uh, started with textiles and then canals as that built out and, and, and maritime trade. It went into the rise of the steam engine, the railroads, and, and, and steam power associated with that. And it went into steel, electricity, and then automobiles, and electronics, and aviation. So each of these cycles they have a very interesting pattern. One is the technology takes off, uh, the technology proliferates, and then at some point the technology becomes so critical to our uh, 
economy, to our society, to our national security, that the role of government inevitably changes, where the government tends to have more of a hands-off role or at least an enabling role. The government has to start moving out with kind of a, a strong policy, uh, with, with a legal regime to start addressing these things. So if you think back, the textiles, there was this issue of child labor. Uh, it, when you start looking at the railroads, there was the idea of concentration of power in the hands of a few people. Uh, with uh, steel and electricity, it was the, the, the breaking up the trust, dealing with those issues. And then with the automobiles, it was obviously around things for safety and how to build out an infrastructure that would support all that. So each of these things run into these cycles. What we wanted to do is to take a look at that and then apply it to what we're seeing in the information communications uh, industry. And you see exactly the same cycles. I think what's emerged and why this is so important for the government to start thinking about what the future is going to be and what the role is going to be is that there are three distinct issues that have kind of popped out of this era. Uh, one is around uh, this idea of cybersecurity, which has got a lot of attention. The other is around the issue of privacy in cyberspace, and the other is around openness and access. So, you know, just to draw some threads, obviously there's a lot of news reports about what's going on in cyberspace and how to deal with that uh, from a security perspective. But privacy is a big issue. Most of the news is dominated by things like Google and Street View and, 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 and concerns by the European Union over privacy associated with that. And then we also have this concern over openness and access to the Internet, so debates over net neutrality within the United States, but also uh, recent diplomatic efforts to ensure the, open, the Internet stays open and that it's not being filtered uh, or screened has been a part of the State Department's strategy going forward. So there are a lot of these things that are kind of coming together, and they're all related, and they all happen in cyberspace. And so what we wanted to do, and what I think this is so critical, is to date these things have been addressed kind of in isolation, and what they really need to be looked at is in totality and how these things hang together. And then I think more importantly, what lies in the future and what's the role of the United States government going forward. Well, that's a great overview. And, David, I'd like to get your take on the criticality of this role as well. I take a slightly different tack. You know, the the internet itself and cyberspace were largely a U.S. and Western creation, and have been, in large measure, since uh, for the last 20 years. I think why it's so critical today to re-examine the U.S. role is the the multilingual, multicultural aspects of the internet as it's evolved into a global uh, utility, and and how other countries perceive the U.S. and Western roles in guiding the future of the of the internet and cyberspace. So. You know, in my mind, it's a critical time now because this is the perfect period for the U.S. to think multilaterally about where the Internet is going and to draw in other cultural, political, and uh, social views about where it should go. Um, so I think that's why it's a really critical period of time right now. Well, the crux of this report, Patrick, you've developed four possible scenarios for the U.S. Why don't you outline for us what are these scenarios and how did you arrive at them? Yeah, well, first I want to make a caveat, and I'll kind of paraphrase uh, Yogi Berra. It's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. And what we tried to do here is instead of trying to predict what the Internet is going to look like in 2020, was to drive uh, a, a series of scenarios, a kind of what-if analysis, uh, around some key uh, points that we're trying to make. What we basically did is we, we laid out two uh, axes as we thought about the scenarios. One is, what's the role of the United States government? Is the United States government going to have a strong role uh, and, and be kind of more influential than other states? Or is it going to be supplanted? Is it going to have a weakened role, diminished role as, as we go forward? So that's one axis. The other axis was to look at 
is the is cyberspace can be really governed and, and managed from a global perspective and looking at this as a globally interconnected uh, sphere, or is it going to kind of fragment and be dictated more by national and regional interests and, and with an architecture that starts to look that way as well. So as a result of that, that kind of generates four scenarios. Uh, the first scenario that we looked at was what we call the stagnating Internet. And the scenario is basically built around the premise that U.S. government remains influential but is more inward-looking. So it doesn't take a multilateral view, it takes more of a unilateral view, and it's really trying to optimize the Internet security around U.S. national interest, and it's kind of a, a, a little bit of a wall mentality. And so we call it stagnating Internet because the view is the Internet cyberspace is really a global phenomenon. A lot of the engineering, innovation, and research development takes place outside the United States as well as within the United States. Now, this would have a dampening effect on kind of the technological evolution of the Internet and the openness of the Internet. The other scenario we looked at was to kind of flip that on its head and say, the U.S. is still influential, but the United States is taking a multilateral view to this, and it is basically engaging international governance bodies and, and putting policies out there and building coalitions and partnerships to basically put a framework around how to govern and manage the Internet so that the equities of, of most of the countries are really represented this as we go forward. So that's what we call first among equals. On the other hand, we, and so those, both those scenarios show a strong U.S. government influence in this. The other tack was to look at how the United States government's influence wanes in the future as we go forward. And one scenario is called the Asian tiger. That is, the Internet is still addressed from a global perspective, and it's being governed and managed and policy's been driven that way. But the United States is not seen as a leader, and it really is a, it's a, it's a particular Asian country. It could be China, or it could be a coalition of Asian countries uh, in, in Eastern Asia that are really driving the standards, the architecture, the topology, and, and, and the norms and, and rules of behavior within cyberspace. Um, and we call that the Asian tiger scenario. And then lastly, we created one uh, which is kind of more the nightmare scenario, and that is U.S. government is weakened and the, basically the Internet uh, fragments around national or regional interests. We call this the balkanized Internet. And what happens here is that countries uh, who are looking out for their own interests, be it uh, the the feeling that they have to filter content before it comes into their country, the feeling that they have to secure and put borders and, and boundaries around the Internet to protect tr critical systems. But regardless of what the motivation is, the Internet tends to fracture, and it tends to fracture around regions, around Europe, around North America, around East Asia, uh, South Asia, Middle East, and Africa. So uh, those are the four scenarios that we laid out. And what we tried to do is, in each scenario, is understand what were the drivers, how did we get there, then what were the implications. And then that was to set up a discussion about how we start thinking about policy and strategy in the future, about what is the best scenario and what's the best way to get there. Well, good questions there. And, David, I want to ask you, in your view, based on what Patrick has outlined here, which of these scenarios is more likely than the others, and why do you feel that way? So I, I think it's the Asian tiger scenario, and I'll give you three reasons. I think, first and foremost, the rise of China and India as, as economic powers in the region, uh, their societies are becoming more and more reliant on the Internet and cyberspace, and, and increasingly those are going to be engines for economic growth within, within both societies. And so I think that alone is drawing the center of gravity of the world towards Asia. I think the, the second factor is when you look at Asia as a whole, it's still to date one of the least penetrated parts of the world. Only about 41% of, of the Asian subcontinent is, is actively on the Internet, and that's 
there's a huge human tide of, of active participants that are going to be coming onto the internet over the next 10 years and bringing with them language, culture, and other factors. And already today, China rivals English as the dominant language on the internet. I think in 10 years, that, that's going to be a moot question. China, Chinese will, will clearly dominate uh, as a language, and Asian characters may be even more dominant than the Chinese language itself as the characters of choice on the internet. And the third, third reason is there's a growing sense, I think, of connectedness along the entire Pacific Rim of players. And, you know, we mentioned China and India, but also Korea, Japan, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and even South America, who are increasingly seeing themselves as a connected part, uh, seeing connective tissue between these parts of the world, and seeing a lot of reasons to interact and interconnect more and more. So I think this, for this reason, I think the center of gravity is naturally moving to, towards Asia, and for that reason, I think that's the most likely scenario to play out. And Patrick, i got to ask you, agree or disagree? Well, I think what David just described was uh, the ghost of Christmas future. Uh, I think it's a, a it's a scenario. It could happen. It doesn't have to happen. And I think if the U.S. government again recognizes this as a burning platform and puts its energies into this in terms of uh, policy, diplomatic efforts, etc., uh, that scenario does not have to happen. But I think in the vacuum of leadership, policy, and a clear way ahead, uh, I think that is. Uh, that is the most likely scenario. Well, you've given us some interesting things to think about here, and I want to ask you both, David, start with you. Which is the ideal scenario, and what holds the key to success? So, it, in my view, and perhaps admittedly culturally biased view, is I think first amongst equals is probably the most attractive scenario, where the U.S. continues to play a global leadership role. And my reasons for saying that are, you know, in my view, openness has really been the, the secret sauce that has driven cyberspace to where it is today. The ability for individuals, countries, companies, et cetera, to really drive the Internet in an open way has been a critical variable to success. And that really is reflective of a core set of American values around openness, open markets, et cetera, that I think is really important to continue if we, if we hope for the Internet to continue on the trajectory it's been going on. And I think the key to success in, in achieving it is really going to be U.S. leadership around establishing a set of global principles that we adhere to and that we, that we hold others accountable for. And my example would be post-war, uh, post-Second World War, where the United States set, a, set forth a set of principles around open markets, uh, things like the Bretton Woods system, uh, the Marshall Plan, where everyone had to sort of adhere to a common set of principles that really created the, the foundation for 60 years of unprecedented economic growth and stability in the world. And I think something similar needs to happen, and it needs to be driven by the United States, because I think the future of the Internet I just described is most reflective in our value system. And Patrick, same question for you. What do you see as the ideal scenario, and how do you get there? Well, I, I, I would agree with David, although I would, I think, diverge on how we get there. I, I think that I would suggest we have three major challenges in cyberspace, and I mentioned them earlier. Uh, how do you secure it? How do you ensure it's open and it's accessible by people? And then how do you protect privacy? And I'm convinced that those are universal values, not just United States values, and that everybody's well served by having that as kind of the core foundations of what we're trying to address. I think the United States is the only country right now that can actually try to square the three of those. So I think China would have 
a, a bias towards what it perceives to be security and against openness and privacy. And I think you can see that by content uh, filtering uh, and, and the screen that they do on the Internet and, of course, the runnings they've had with Google. I don't think that the global economy is well served by that scenario, and I don't think, quite frankly, China in the long term is well served by that scenario. So I think the first among equals is, given a multilateral approach, is the best scenario to pursue. Uh, but it, it requires substantial heavy lifting in terms of policy and diplomatic efforts as we go forward. Patrick, let me ask you about how you would advise senior policymakers. You know, cyberspace and cybersecurity are key topics in Washington today. If you were going to advise policymakers on these issues, what would be the top piece of advice you'd offer? Well, I think the first thing is to recognize the criticality of this. Uh, this is not a technology issue. This is not something that's kind of buried in to the classic uh, Internet governance forms that deal with standards and help the, the, the topologies and the architectures and stuff like this. This is a geopolitical issue, and it's critical for the uh, future United States, both from an economic perspective and national security perspective. It has to be front on the agenda as burning platform. Otherwise, it's going to get buried in the noise. Uh, I think the other thing is we have to define what cyberspace is. Uh, a lot of people think cyberspace is simply the Internet. Others see cyberspace as something bigger than that. They see it as the processes, the systems, the people. Uh, they see it as part of uh, anything that has electrons or photons going through it. I mean, that's part of cyberspace. So, one, you have to get a, a definition of cyberspace and, and work this debate between people who want to define it narrowly and those who want to define it more broadly. It's hard to solve a problem if you can't put some boundaries around what it is you're trying to solve. I think, uh, lastly, I think what we have to do is get the interagency mechanism uh, functioning around cyber. And that requires us, one, to create a policy, uh, using the interagency me mechanisms to create a policy in cyberspace. And then, two, uh, to be able to translate that policy into a set of strategies and actions and investments as we go forward on this so that you can translate you know, our ideas, but we're trying to do into actual uh, activities and actions on the ground. Now, David, how does it differ from what you might say to Washington, D.C. policymakers to how you might advise other global leaders? So a comment you hear in a lot of uh, Internet forums is how the U.S. to the outside world is viewed as somewhat of a frightening and dominant power, that, that to many it seems like the U.S. has uh, disproportionate influence over the Internet. And so I think with that in mind, I think there'd be two strategies I would consider if I were uh, a global leader in another country. I think the first is to really build as many multilateral uh, alliances as one can. So I think to reach out to other key players in the Internet world, other major countries that, that have a stake in where the Internet is going, and build those alliances. And I think, perhaps more constructively, really build connections where everything doesn't flow through the United States. Today, about 70% of traffic flows geographically through the United States at one point. The physical electrons move through the United States. I think that what we've seen historically is that the greater the global interdependence, the less likely you will see conflict and other things. And I think creating more robust and non-US-centric connections is something if I were in India or China or Brazil, I would be interested in doing. Um, not because I fear the US, but because it, 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 it makes sense to have a more robust and resilient set of connections globally. Final question for both of you now. Patrick, I'll direct this to you first. If there is a wild card idea that relates to the future of cyberspace, what is that wild card? 
Well, the scenarios we laid out are kind of conventional ways of looking at this, and that is we took these axes and said U.S. is strong, U.S. is weak, it's, it's globally integrated, it's, it's kind of the regional level. Uh, a wild card scenario would be some type of terrorist incident within cyberspace that goes after critical infrastructure like power grids, uh, transportation systems, or really, quite frankly, the worst would be financial system. That could have such a catastrophic effect on the Internet that it would basically take uh, trust and openness away, and two things I think have really powered the Internet for the last 20 years, and create a different type of Internet, one that would be less connected, one that would be less robust, one that, quite frankly, would be less useful from an economic point of view. And and that is you know, kind of what we call dark fiber Internet, where this thing really starts to wane in, in terms of its impact. And I think it would set us back decades or something like that would happen. And, David, to get the last words here, if you were to select a wild card, what would that be? So I, I'd pick two, one that's more on the optimist point of view and one that's on a more pessimistic point of view. On the pessimistic side, I think I think a wild card scenario could be a, an alliance of countries that whose sole focus is really to prevent U.S. influence over the Internet. And so one that is commonly referred to as the BRIC alliance, which would be Brazil, Russia, India, and China, and that where the commonality of purpose in their, in their national perspective would be to limit the ability of the United States to exercise some levels of influence and dominance over the Internet. Um, and so I think that's a wild card that bears close watching. Um, and, and it's played out already in some limited forums. I think on the more optimistic and positive side, I think that there's a real opportunity over the next 10 years to have something that would be the equivalent to a cyber constitutional convention where the global players, more than countries, we include companies and, and non-governmental organizations, get together and really start to develop what principles and attributes really should influence where the Internet is going to go. Um, Patrick, Patrick's points around security, privacy, and openness there's a very interesting balancing act between those elements. And I think we globally have to decide that. I think if we as individual countries decide it, you will end up in the nightmare scenario of a balkanized Internet. I think it's really important that the players come together and talk about collectively what, what principles do we want to see the Internet and, and characteristics do we want the Internet to have by 2020. Very good. Well, gentlemen, first of all, I want to thank you both for your time and for your thoughts today. Patrick, David, it's been excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The topic here has been the U.S. role in cyberspace, not just today, but in 2020. We've been talking with Patrick Gorman, Senior Executive Advisor with Booz Allen Hamilton, and David Sulik, Principal with Booz Allen Hamilton. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.